from Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle? Or War Eagle. That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is the Roundtable edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined by Philip Marshall and Keith Niebuhr. I'm Brandon Marcello. Uh, guys, a uh, big week for basketball and, of course, a uh, big season finale coming up in the regular season, at least against number 5 Tennessee. Auburn on a three-game winning streak. Uh, went on the road. He raced a 13-point deficit at Alabama, beat them, and did so in a way that we hadn't seen uh, really in the Bruce Pearl era, and that was by feeding the ball inside, not necessarily hitting a lot of three-pointers. It was a very interesting game to watch in the second half, the way Auburn came back in that game. and It makes me wonder about uh, the future here as they try to head to the NCAA tournament. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll try to talk a little bit about recruiting, but it's it's kind of a dead time right now heading into Auburn spring break. Uh, Auburn Pro Day is coming up. By the time you listen to this, Pro Day will be over with most likely. But um, a, lo- a lot of players are going to be participating in that. Baseball and softball uh, underway, of course. Baseball playing a lot of midweek games right now. So uh, let's start with basketball. Phillip, that, that game at Alabama, um, it's amazing to me. And obviously, you know much more about this than me. Au- Auburn had only won nine games ever in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Bruce Pearl's now won multiple games in Tuscaloosa. And not only did he win that game, but the way they won it, in which the threes weren't falling, they they changed things up. They started feeding the ball to Chumo Kiki, who is, I think, by far the best player on the court for Auburn right now. And they went inside, attacked Alabama, which was bigger and longer, and went on this huge 18-2 run, and Alabama never recovered. Auburn never trailed after that in those final 10 minutes. It was tied a couple times, but Auburn kept hitting baskets to, to stay ahead. What did you learn about this team uh, after that Alabama victory on the road? Well, as I wrote, if you had told me they were going to make seven three-pointers and, and win, uh, I would have thought you were wrong. Uh and pardon my voice, it's it's about going. But uh, uh, you know, I, I thought they obviously showed a lot of grit to come back like that. They were thir- thirteen points behind after the first possession of the second half, and really just completely took over the game after that. And as you said, they did it in in, in ways we haven't seen much of. Uh, they out rebounded a much bigger and taller Alabama team, and they. They went inside to Okiki. They uh, they they attacked the basket, drive it to the basket. Uh, Jared Harper in particular, and uh, uh, really just used their speed and quickness to uh, to take it over. And uh, it's an amazing uh, thing that was pointed out to me today. Dante Hall in two games against Auburn this season has taken six shots. Uh, and Avery Johnson talked after the game about. Horace Spencer just really disrupting their uh, their pick and roll attempts, and uh, which is kind of a case of a guy doing a lot to help win a game that the fans sitting in the stands are 
the sports writers sitting at the press table don't necessarily recognize. But I, I thought it was a huge win. I thought it was their biggest win of the season. Uh, and it, uh, you would think gave them a little more confidence that they can if their three-point game isn't working good well or if it's being taken away from them, that they can throw the ball inside, to, especially to Chumo Kiki, who, as you said, is a great player. It reminded me a lot of the uh, first-round NCAA tournament game last year where it just didn't seem like anything was going on and they just pulled out the victory somehow, some way. Uh, but it, this game was different in that, as you said, um, they completely – changed their game plan in the second half. They they went away from shooting the ball beyond the arc. They started attacking the basket a little bit, and they wanted to take advantage of the matchup uh, issues that Chumo Kiki presented Alabama uh, in the middle of the floor. And what was interesting to me is down the stretch, Chumo Kiki was playing defense against a guard, and he's right. the reason why Alabama was not able to get a shot off in the final seconds um, uh, on those final two possessions. He was all over the court. He's just been an amazing player. Now comes Tennessee to town, number five Tennessee, where, as Bruce Pearl told us Thursday, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, from these other teams they've played in the SEC other than LSU. Um, that one through five, the, it's a matchup problem for Auburn. And you don't necessarily can switch on there and expect uh, as much success as you're, you know, kind of accustomed to sometimes a game. Sometimes in games you have uh, uh, an advantage at two or three spots, but Tennessee's on another level. The good news for Auburn is that this game is at home. Obviously, Auburn's probably going to be the underdog in this game, a slight underdog, but a win could go a long way for Auburn. Not, I mean, they're already in the NCAA tournament no matter what happens the rest of the way, but you beat Tennessee and maybe win a game in the SEC tournament – all of a sudden, you might be in the conversation of being a number four, number five seed in the NCAA tournament, which makes all the difference in the world compared to being, say, a seven or maybe an eight seed where you win your first round game, then all of a sudden you're playing the number one or number two seed in the tournament, and it's almost impossible sometimes to get to the Sweet 16. So big game in a lot of ways. Tennessee's trying to win an SEC title, and Tennessee – a better team than when Auburn last faced them, which was the SEC opener pretty much right. last season. It's been right. a very long time, but these coaches know each other very well. Yeah, it's interesting to hear Bruce say it. I hadn't thought about it, that uh, that they played Alabama five times since they last played Tennessee, uh, which is true. I mean, two times last season in the SEC tournament, two times this season. So, but, uh, yeah, Tennessee is very good. Tennessee's better than Auburn. Uh, but Auburn Arena is a very tough place to win. So I, I'll be surprised if Auburn doesn't, uh, senior day, uh, if Auburn doesn't, uh, doesn't make a real game of it, uh, whether they can win or not, I don't know, but I think it'll be, a, I think it'll be a good game to watch and, uh, and that they'll be in it till the end. You know, these I, are the type yeah. of games, oh, I'm sorry. These are the no, types of games Bruce, Bruce would win at Tennessee. You know, that's the irony that he's playing Tennessee. But when he was at Tennessee, he often won games where maybe he didn't have the better team. And they just played with so much passion and so much emotion. And if he can get that out of these guys on Saturday, I think anything's possible. They just got to hit their jump shots. I don't think you're going to rally from 13 down against Tennessee. I think that's a little bit more that, – that's a put their throat – put their foot on your throat uh, kind of team. Uh, you know I wouldn't I – mean? I wouldn't think so. They rallied from 17 down against Kentucky uh, at all. I know. I know. It's a uh, uh, they're very hard to beat there, but I, 
yeah, I, I don't have any doubt that they're going to be revved up to play. And uh, uh, I'll be surprised if they don't. They usually shoot pretty well at home. But I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting again to see if they've gained some more confidence in, in, in taking the ball to the basket and, and throwing it in there, which they really haven't done much of. And uh, if they can do that some, then they'll, they'll, they'll have more, more – uh, more freedom to shoot, shoot from the outside. One thing is Tennessee is not like Alabama and Ole Miss in that they can put really tall guys out there on the perimeter uh, and, and just to, to take away the three-point shots as easily as as, as as Ole Miss did. And Alabama, too. I mean, they took them away, too. And uh, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see Auburn attacks them. And, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see – if they had what the crowd you would expect for a game like this, with it at 11, 11 a.m. and and spring break starts starts uh, Friday. You know, uh, Brandon, you had that stat the other day. The teams in the SEC with the you know where they ranked with twenty win seasons, and Auburn was what where they were last in the SEC, right? Twenty win seasons. Yeah, and in, in history, yep. And the Tennessee, you know, on the other end of that, and yet neither one of them have been to a Final Four. That's a program that is. So hungry. I mean, they built to Philip. You remember when they built Thompson Bowling Arena? Oh, yeah. You know, they thought that they, <laughs> they thought that the, that was the answer to Rupp Arena, and they just haven't really. You know, Bruce had those good teams, and they had a good team a few years ago, but that's just a program that I mean, imagine being their fan base. We talk about you know, Georgia's football fan base sometimes longing for that first championship since 80, but you know, Tennessee's had so many great Philip. I'm sure you've seen a lot of these great players they've had through the years. At Tennessee. Well, it's they've a had great players. And I can remember when they had a great program, when Ray Mears was there. Uh, uh, they were probably them in it was probably them in Kentucky, were were the strongest two programs in the SEC. Yeah, they built, I was told, uh, Thompson Bowling Arena one seat bigger than Ruffin Arena. They wanted to make sure it was bigger, and uh, and really it was probably a mistake because for a long time they they they'd have ten thousand people at the game, and it was like there was nobody there. And they very rarely filled it up. Uh, that's different now. And uh, 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 Rick Barnes has done a remarkable job there. Of course, now he's about to lose some some really important seniors off this team, as is as is Bruce Pearl uh, off this team. So, so so we'll see what happens after that. But uh, uh, they've had a great year, and they may just be too good. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably to be. And Tennessee, as you said, they're losing a lot of seniors. Those. Auburn's losing a few, but both programs have recruited so well um, since their coaches, Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl, have been on campus. And it's interesting to me, Texas, which got sick of Rick Barnes, uh, he goes to Tennessee, and now Texas might be on the verge of firing Shaka Smart, who replaced him. Uh, I guess sometimes the grass isn't always greener. Uh, Rick Barnes, a very successful coach everywhere he's been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I was shocked when Texas fired him, and and I've known him a long time since he was a, an assistant coach at Alabama. And uh, uh, when Texas fired him, and you, you go hire Shaka Smart, who is who has never been in anything like the Big Twelve as a head coach or the SEC. And uh, to me, if you're going to fire Rick Barnes, then, then you better be ready to hire Bill Self or somebody that is that you know for certain is better. Yeah. Oh, I, have, it, it, I absolutely agree. Yeah, you make a good point, Philip. It's just amazing how some guys, though, are better at underdog-type programs 
And then when they get to the bright lights, it just doesn't happen. It's so much more competitive on the recruiting trail. It's harder to build a team with four or five seniors that maybe you could ride to a, a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, like you did at Virginia Commonwealth. It's just a whole different dynamic. And same thing with football. You just never really know. Every I always tell everybody, everybody that's a, a big-time football coach or big-time basketball coach at one time, they were most of those guys were winners at smaller programs. And uh, some guys pan out, some don't. But, it's uh, yeah, Shaka Smart, that, that's uh, – that's a little bit surprising. I wonder who Texas goes after if they if they. I think uh, I think they'll go after Buzz Williams. To be honest, uh, Buzz Williams or um, oh, who was I hearing? I can't remember. Might come to me later. But you're exactly right. Sometimes these big time programs they'll hire someone who's had a lot of success at a smaller school, but they've only been a head coach for two or three years. And that's crazy when they do that's, that to me. That's the issue. Um, uh, Bryce Drew obviously is not really in that situation, but you hire Bryce Drew at Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt just had a historically bad season going over. Well, they're going to lose to LSU this week, I would think. Um, they just got blown out by Arkansas at home. Uh, Bryce Drew, in the third year, you should not be <laughs> over in the SEC at this point, especially at a program like Vanderbilt where they've had success, obviously. Um, and then, as, as we mentioned, Texas with Shaka Smart, both – both coaches coming from smaller programs that just don't seem to be handling it very well on the big stage. And we've seen it uh, previously with other coaches. I mean, Georgia went through the gamut of small, small time coaches that go in the big time, couldn't get it done. South Carolina, um, Arkansas with uh, John Pelfrey and Stan Heath, who was at Kent state, went to the elite eight for in his first and only season at Kent state, then went to Arkansas and didn't do anything. Uh, I think yeah, if you're going to go get a small school coach, go get someone who's been coaching there for a while. And I'll point, I'll point to Bruce Pearl. I mean, he was a small school coach before Tennessee hired him, but he, he was at a small school for years and years and was a consistent winner and build a, built a program and showed he could do it. These other teams seem to be – they get so caught up in hiring the hot up-and-comer that hasn't really built a program that just won after two or three years, and that doesn't work out for them. I think if I was an AD, heaven forbid, and I was looking at any sport, who has proved he can build a program? Not who has proved he can take a team to the Elite Eight that he inherited, like Stan Heath. I mean, uh, uh, who can build a program? Because that's the key. And, uh, you know, Auburn went through their share of those, too. I mean, Jeff Lebo, uh, uh before him, Tommy Joe Eagles, and and uh, uh, it's 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 a crapshoot when you do it that way, and it's a crapshoot however you do it. But but just getting a team deep into the tournament should not be enough to make somebody open up the checkbook and go rushing off to hire somebody. Yeah, the well, only you guys agree that that oh, go ahead, Brandon. No, I was going to say the only coach I could think of is the coach at Wichita State, which has been a hot commodity over the last few years. But he's made it clear that he's staying there. You know, he's built something there. He built oh, that yeah. himself. Um, he didn't come in and, and have immediate success. He had to build that thing up. He'd be, I think, he'd be a good coach at a big program. But um, I, this, I, this, it just seems like some ads get obsessed with this new, bright, young coach who has instant success and. You mentioned Stan Heath, and I only mention this because I've got knowledge of it. You know, they went to the Elite Eight. You know why they went to the Elite Eight in this first year? The players rebelled against him in the locker room because they did not want to play his style. And so they reverted back to the previous coach's style 
and Stan yeah. Heath just dealt with it, and they went to the Elite Eight. It wasn't his coaching at all, and that's what <laughs> Arkansas hired him for and come to find out it wasn't his offense. It's just funny to me. you got to pay close attention to that stuff. you got to go get guys who can build a program to lead your program on the big time. But I think one of the things that happened, and Philip, you may agree or disagree, Brandon, you too, but when it's the Billy Donovan effect. He was a guy that, uh, I mean, let's, for all intents and purposes, hadn't really proven a lot. He had been an assistant under Patino and then just a couple of years of Marshall where he didn't do a ton. And the, the success he had in Gainesville kind of changed the landscape out there. And all of a sudden you had ADs maybe trying to outsmart each other when you're right. You know, if you're getting a guy two, three years and hasn't proven, hasn't built it. And that, that was kind of a rare thing that he was able to succeed at that level. But speaking of the Texas job, they're going to have some competition because UCLA's open too. And, you know, I know UCLA doesn't pay much, but that's still a marquee job. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, does Billy Donovan get back into the college game? You're right, what does Buzz Williams do? Uh, it's going to be a, a, a pretty cool offseason to watch because there's going to be some marquee programs or perception that they're marquee programs, at least. I don't know that UCLA still is, but perception-wise, I guess it is. I hate I hate to make Auburn people, fans feel bad, but Buzz Williams uh, was was a, a candidate for the Auburn job, and they hired Tony Barbie instead. So they decided to hire a golfer instead of a basketball coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I will forever be on the Tony Barbie hate wagon. That is one of the laziest coaches I've ever seen just in the two years I was around him. Just, well, oh, my gosh. You know, I think I've told you all before about my first one-on-one -on -one interview with him. And the first thing that happened was Smitty, his right-hand man. Smitty. Uh, and, and introduced myself, and he informed me that he, had been, that, that he had been researching me. And I said, well, I'm sure that was boring. And uh, <laughs> then I went in to see Tony, Tony who, uh, who I, again, said, I don't know if you remember, I mentioned the other night, I'm Philip Marshall. He said, yeah, I said, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. The next words out of his mouth were, can you believe this office furniture? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, and I hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That guy, that guy, uh, he's always worried about the wrong things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he and and uh, flying to Australia to recruit. Hey, he couldn't get along with Frankie Sullivan. He's one of the greatest, nicest guys I know. I, that's yeah. all I need to know. Yeah. Um, so, the Barbie days are way far behind us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, th th this Auburn team, I mean, it, it's – I've always thought they were on the top tier of the second level of the teams in the SEC, and they're finally there in the standings. It's kind of – everything works itself out, obviously. Um what do you think is going to happen Saturday against this Tennessee team? I, I I think they're the best team in the SEC and better than Kentucky, despite Kentucky blowing them out and then Tennessee returning the favor a week or two later. I think this Tennessee team is just more complete. They're obviously more mature. I think it's going to be tough for Auburn. I think Auburn's going to have to shoot like 50-something percent from three and, and force, you know, 19, 20 turnovers to, to, to win this game because Tennessee can answer – any any way you, they need inside and out. I think Bryce Brown is going to have to have a senior day to remember, and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that part of it happened. 
Uh, but Auburn has to force turnovers. You're right, because they're not going to. Uh, they just got the hope they can come close to holding their own rebounding, and uh, and they're going to have to force turnovers. And and as you mentioned, Tennessee is a very mature team. They're not going to get rattled by the crowd, and uh, they're not going to get rattled by pressure on the court. So I I agree with you. I think it's a very difficult game. I think Auburn will be in the game. I think they'll be in the game till the end. I don't think they'll get blown out, but I think it's a very difficult game for Auburn to win. Yeah, I don't. I, I agree with Philip. I'm thinking you know, 75-70 in that range, Tennessee. But you know they've got the two losses in the conference. I think one of the worst things that happened was LSU winning Tuesday night because now, you know, if LSU would have lost Tuesday night to Florida, then Tennessee I think would have clinched the SEC already. So I think they're going to be motivated. I agree that they have bigger they have bigger goals in mind, but it's still important to win the SEC. So I think they're going to be focused, and it's all going to come down to. You know, can Auburn force turnovers? Can Auburn shoot three? And can they get any semblance of defensive rebounding? A good offensive rebounding team, but the defensive rebounding can be an issue at times. And you guys are right. Tennessee's a smart team. They just, well, they got they got they got they got a great point guard. They got two great forwards. I just uh, it's uh, there's a reason they've only lost three games all season. The one thing besides the SEC championship, they're also playing for a number one seed too. So oh they, yeah, they're not. They're not going to lack for motivation. Yeah, this game's huge for them, not just the championship. As you said, getting that number one seed in the NCAA tournament because there's a lot of, a lot of competition there, a lot of uncertainty going into the conference tournaments. And, uh, you know, if they want to be a one seed, I don't think they can afford a loss against Auburn unless they win the SEC tournament to remain a number one seed. So it, it's huge for them. They'll be be quite motivated. Dick Vitale will be on the mic for ESPN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, second yeah. game this year here. I know everybody's just like, oh, okay, but that, that's a huge deal. Dick Vitale coming to Auburn Arena at the end of the regular season to call a game. That's huge. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, it, what's interesting, uh, you know, Pearl mentioned this. Tennessee's three losses all against teams that are ranked in the top 15. Yeah. You know, th- yeah. This is going to be a monumental task. One of them was a blowout at Kentucky, and Kentucky – you go to Kentucky, you, you you know, you could get blown out. Auburn knows that. We've seen yep. it. Um, so, <laughs> t- Tennessee, man, uh, I think they're the best team in, in the SEC, a team that's definitely going to be a Final Four contender uh, when all is, is said and done. Um, m- moving ahead here with recruiting, anything on the recruiting front going on, Keith? It's going to be quite kind of quiet, I understand, this weekend. Yeah, not too much, uh, you know, because right now Auburn's coming off two big junior day weekends where they had a ton of underclassmen in town, a ton of offers handed out, a ton of new relationships kind of blooming. Uh, so this weekend, as far as we know now, things are always subject to change, but I, I believe that the assistant coaches are sort of just going to be uh, kind of collecting their thoughts. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're taking time off or, uh, or whatnot, but they're not going to be really heavy into recruiting where there might not be any visitors. They're going to focus on spring football. I'd expect some visitors to come. Next weekend, and obviously, you know, guys, once spring football starts, you see it. You guys are out there at practice. Uh, well, you're, you're at least at the complex every day. Some days you're a lot of practice, some not. But you see the recruits rolling in and out. There'll be a steady stream of recruits from the first day of spring practice through the spring game, and that occupies a lot of their time. So right now, um, it's it's all about kind of recharging for those guys. But Auburn's in a good spot. Number eight class, seven commitments. Uh, you know. I think we're going to be hearing about LaMichael Petway, the Arkansas grad transfer soon. It may be even done before this podcast runs, so we won't go into too much detail. 
Um, they're in a good spot with a lot of people. Two offensive linemen already committed. As you guys know, that's crucial because they only signed a couple, uh, three last year, two the year before, three the year before that. Uh, you know, a lot to shake out, but they're in a good spot. I, certain positions are in a really good spot. Linebacker is one. A receiver. I, guys, I was thinking about this uh, last night. Auburn's got two receivers committed. One of them is the top receiver ranked-wise and probably ability-wise in Alabama. The other one is the top guy in Georgia. Again, it's just we we talked about this before on the show. We marvel at Auburn's receiver recruiting. It's it's really insane when you think about it. Uh, but the top guys in both of those states. So good spot there. Good spot on the offensive line, defensive line. A lot to shake out, but they're they're certainly trending in the right direction with some guys. Uh, so those spring visits will be key. You're going to be getting guys on campus for the first time. And then a lot of kids that visited in January, February are going to be coming back for the second time. And sometimes that second visit is just as important, if not more important than the first visit. It, it, one, it tells you that a kid's got some genuine interest in your program. But two, that's when they can maybe spend some more time with the young man. He can look deeper. He can pull the layer of the onion back and learn more about the program, the coaches, the culture. And obviously, at spring practice, those kids get pulled out onto the field and get in the huddle and get to watch and get to watch the guys that could be their position coaches uh, in action up close. You know, you don't get that on Saturday. You're, they're watching from the stands just like everybody else. So these practices are crucial in that uh, in that relationship building, because you know, if you're if you're a young running back, you're going to get to see exactly how Cadillac Williams bonds with his guys on the field and then. Oftentimes, as you guys know, they're allowed in the meeting rooms with these people. So the next few couple of months are, are an important period for Auburn recruiting, but certainly in a good spot right now. They even let him watch Roger Garner, Coach? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he loves that. He loves that. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny. It's funny you mention that because it's always, um, you know, we hear – I talked to recruits. What's it like, you know, watching him practice or what do you think of him? And, and what do other players tell you? And and you'll see the recruits and they'll say, well, they, they say that he doesn't really sugarcoat things. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> believe me. No, he does. You know, one of the funniest, you know, it, it's really, you know, we don't, you know, and you guys are the beat guys, but you know, a lot of times you're just having conversations with these guys. Not, stories aren't written. I mean, we're humans. They're humans. You run into a guy, you, you chat. Uh, it's always interesting to run into Rodney Garner at, a day after a game just to just to see and hear what's on his mind, just about life. Not even I mean, I'm not going into details on the game. And he's such an interesting guy. But, yeah, he doesn't pull any punches. But, uh, you know, again, they got they got some new coaches. So if you're a quarterback, you really don't know much about Kenny Dillingham, probably. So true, it, true. It, it's going to be important for you to get out to practice and see him. And, you know, the funny thing is, guys, and Philip, you covered Jimbo Fisher when he was what, in his late 20s. When right. He worked at Auburn. Uh, they, I mean, there's some videos out there, Kenny coaching and, and man, I mean, this guy, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, people always say, well, gosh, I'd like to have more ex Auburn players as coaches. Well, you know, th that may be great, but a lot of the best coaches were not big time players in any sport. In fact, uh, a family friend of mine played for the Washington senators way back in the day for when Ted Williams was the manager. And he said he was terrible because he couldn't understand why everybody couldn't hit 400 like he did. And so, <laughs> yeah. and, you know what I mean? And so uh, Kenny Dillingham, you know, not a guy that played in a big school, not a guy that you've heard of. He isn't 6'4". He's not, you know, uh, but man, they say that as a technician, uh, I don't know what the word I'm, I'm looking for, as a guy that understands the technical aspects of the quarterback position, they say that he is really sharp, okay, really sharp. But, you know, man, maybe he's going to be the next Jimbo Fisher. You know, who knows? I, I don't know. It's funny that Jimbo Fisher, didn't he coach uh, Bo Nix's dad? Kind of, kind of a small he role, did. really. You know? did. Uh, but, uh, you know, and that's obviously going to be something that we're all going to be watching what happens with Bo Nix. But 
you know who else is going to be watching that, guys? I know I'm going on and on, but if you're a young quarterback in this class, you're going to be watching that quarterback race too because if Bo Nix wins that job, you may be thinking, oof, boy, do I really want to go in in this 2020 class and sit behind a guy for the next two to three years. Uh, And granted, there's no guaranteed starting positions anywhere, but that's something that these young guys are going to think about. There's no question about it. So uh, what happens on that practice field this spring is going to play a role in many ways uh, shaping the class in terms of what the recruits see on the field, but also, you know, how those guys coach, like I said. Yeah, you talk about former players becoming coaches. It's interesting. Manny Diaz, who's now the head coach at Miami, I, I, I covered him. I believe that he didn't play football, and he had to beg and beg and beg and beg to become a student manager, just a student manager at Florida State, and just learned as much as he could about football, ended up becoming you know a grad assistant and all that stuff. And here he is today, a Power 5 head coach, a guy who never played football. So, I mean, you put your mind to it, you could do anything. And he's definitely a guy that's adopted some, you know, different techniques, different um, ways yeah. to attack coaching that, you know, maybe the, the you know, former player who's played football, uh, you know, didn't necessarily think of or whatever. But, you know, we'll it, it, see. Def- definitely a smaller level, Brandon, but a guy that I've dealt with for years on the high school uh, circuit is, is a head coach at Tampa Plant High School. I think he's won four or five state titles. And uh, the year before he got there, they didn't win a game, but he never played high school football. He actually went to Tampa Jesuit when Brad Radke, the, the, the well-known Minnesota Twins pitcher, was there. He was just a, a regular old guy. He just wanted to get into coaching. And, you know, it turns out the guy's got this incredible football mind. And, and uh, I, you know, it's, it's some guys just have it, you know. And, and maybe, My uncle did the same thing. Yeah. My uncle did the same thing in Oklahoma. You know, kids – about the quarterbacks, I absolutely agree with you. But I, I think quarterbacks have to look at it that way because, you know, if, if you're the backup running back, you're still going to play. Yes, and, uh, yes, that's a great point. And but if you if you're the backup quarter quarterback, I mean, Malik Willis has played, but he hasn't. You know, he's he's played in games that were already decided for the, um, almost exclusively. Well, and, yeah, uh, that's it's a tough. Great point. Yeah, well, I will say this. 2020 is going to be a challenge, okay? Haynes King, a kid out of Texas, uh, is probably their number one target. But 2021 now brings a lot of possibilities with it because that's where if Bo Nix or Joey Gatewood do take off, then a guy that's got that year in between says, okay, I can go sit for two years, yeah. and, they're throw- and they're throwing the heck out of the ball, and I love this new OC, and I love what Gus is doing. and So it can really – it may hurt in this cycle, but it certainly can help you down the road. I think most coaches, if, it, if if they could create it perfectly, would change quarterbacks every two years. In yeah. Other words, oh yeah. Guy, guy comes in and learns for two years, plays for two years, and the guy behind well, him does the same thing. Well, all those years down at Florida State, that's how it was. You had to wait your turn. You had Peter Tom right. Willis, Brad Johnson, uh, Danny Cannell, all those guys, Thad Busby, they all had Charlie Ward. They all had to wait their turn, and they didn't mind. Now, obviously, the dynamic has changed because you there's more. Like you know, there wasn't a USF playing football in 1991, and UCF was a small school. So there's more big schools playing. There's more opportunity to play on TV and make your mark at other programs. But uh, for years, you had to wait your turn, and I'm sure it was the same way at Auburn too. Right. It'd be interesting but, yeah, to watch yeah. because well, I mean, you, you look at look at Gus Malzahn's tenure. He's going to be entering his tenth year here as an <laughs> OC or a head coach, and eight of those years he's had a quarterback battle. Hmm. So, and now they're trying to build for the long run by getting a guy like a Bo Nix who could play for two or three years, which 
listen, it hasn't happened under Gus Malzahn, but that's what they're trying to do finally. Yeah, the, the question is, you know, obviously you guys again to the beat guys. I'm just a casual observer here, but, you know, if he's the best guy, he's got to play. But there's still the question of if he's the best guy, he's still going to be 18 years old or not. Excuse me, he just turned 19. He's still going to be 19 going out there, and it's such a crucial year for the program. But I, I tell you, I, I wouldn't rule out Joey Gatewood personally. I, I don't know as much about Malik Willis's situation. I just know that I, I saw a lot of Joey Gatewood in high school, and he's such an athletic freak. If he can mature off the field, not off the field, but mature as a young man, uh, and pick this thing up. Who knows? I mean, may, you know, he's never really had until he got to Auburn a true QB coach. And as you guys know, all these young QBs now, I mean, Bo Nix has been trained by Patrick Nix all these years. Well, that's a nice luxury to have. I mean, you still got to have it. You still got to have the ability, but you know, that's a, that's a nice person to lean on. And Joey Gatewood's never had that. So that's going to be a guy that I'm going to be curious to see reading y'all's reports in the coming weeks. Joey Gatewood. That's one thing that's so different now. Quarterbacks arrive in in college much, much better prepared to play than than they did not very long ago. I mean, they got all these private coaches and all those things that they're, they are, uh, I, I just think that the fundamentals of the game, a lot of times they've, they've already, if not mastered, at least uh, understand. Well, you know, the question then becomes, you know, all these guys are so technically sound now, too, Philip. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I remember watching Antoine Childs years ago show up at a, at a college, and, and all this hype, this huge arm, and his first passes the first few weeks were, were going into the bleachers, okay? And you just don't see that anymore. But uh, you also don't see guys like Patrick Nix get recruited by big schools anymore. And you wonder, are all the schools falling in love so much with the size and the arm? Are they maybe missing out on the guys that have the intangibles, a guy like a Patrick Nixon? So you got to find that happy medium if you're a coach, which is hard to do. Uh, Patrick Nixon, this is when he was still coaching in college, told me one time, he, he said, uh, he said, I really thought that I could play in the NFL and that uh, I, I had, I was as good as anybody. And he said, I look back now, I wouldn't recruit me. <laughs> hey, was he as intense back then as he is now, Philip? Because I've had hours of conversations with him. I've never seen him blink his eyes once. Okay, at, at he least is intense. At least as intense then as he is now. Uh, there's no question about it. And in the in the famed interception game against LSU, when he got benched in the second half, and uh, he was not happy and. On Tuesday, when we did interviews, and at that time, we just went to Sewell Hall for lunch and grabbed players as they came to eat. And uh, he uh, he made his feelings very clear about his anger, about being, being pulled, his anger at Jimbo Fisher. Uh, he, he was an unhappy camper. But, uh, would, would they bring a guy in these days to media, to you guys, that, that, that had just been benched at the quarterback position? <laughs> What do you think, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd laugh, but the, the pain is so real. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> we do good to get the guy that won the job. Exactly. Well, this. Did, does it, did, it, did it hurt the team, and did it hurt him that, that, that uh, he was allowed to be interviewed back then? Because, I mean, that's the real thing. Of course not. It's all of about course. the team, right? Did it affect the team at all that he was course. in there? Of course not. Yeah. In the in 2004, everything was open. Get yeah. whoever you wanted to interview. 
watch all the practice you wanted to watch, and it dang near destroyed that team. You can tell. <laughs> oh man! Uh, it's, and listen, this is not unique to Auburn. To be fair, yeah, I think, sure, I, absolutely, yeah, exactly. But it's ridiculous. To be honest with you, it's the, these kids are being are 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 losing an opportunity to have an educational experience uh, of going through the process, being interviewed, and all those things. It's uh, it doesn't make any sense, and uh, it's and I I personally have never seen a game I thought turned on what somebody said before the game. No. No. I mean, Um, my question always is: Well, you think they weren't going to play hard already uh, before that? I mean, yeah, and and I've had I've had players tell me too, like they could be motivated by something, but like that lasts for a few minutes in the yeah. game and then after that it wears off i mean it just does i mean you're trying to concentrate on assignments and obviously if someone's bigger than you or smaller than you and i mean that's all it comes down to that and scheme i mean this yep. motivation's motivation but you know maybe you come out to shoot faster um and, and on fire for a few minutes but it, it everything evens out so you don't Always think does. you guys don't think halftime adjust? I mean, excuse me, halftime speeches win win games either. Then no halftime uh, adjustments do. <laughs> <laughs> we did a story in the Hustle Times one time about uh, for a football section, I believe, about uh, coaches pump up speeches. And so I, my duty was to talk to Auburn players about Tommy Tuberville's speeches, and I asked. Uh, Cooper Wallace, who was the tight end, about it, and he kind of sat there a minute and he said, "And because we were supposed to ask him to write it between one and ten, he said, you mean a, like a pump-up speech before the game?'" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Coach Tuberville," I said, "Yeah." He said, "And I'm supposed to write it between one and 10? He said, "I can't do that because <laughs> I get in trouble." I, I I think most of all that stuff is overrated, personally. But. Yeah, certainly. I don't think I don't think nowadays, especially like Gus Malzahn, I don't think he sits back the night before a game and goes, "What am I going to tell the team tomorrow before the game?" No. I think the, I think the message is pretty much the same almost every week, other than you know, of course, the you know Iron Bowl or whatever. They talk a little bit about history and everything, but I, I don't think they're going out there and go, you, "Did you hear what?" They said last week. Yeah, yeah that's that's not it. And you better if, be motivated to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. Is what you better sure. do. Yeah, cause that's when the because preparation if not, happens. If, right. If you're not, there's not anything anybody's going to be able to say on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, what, a, what what a team does like on Thursday really doesn't matter because it's a walkthrough. It's light. Right. And Friday you don't really do anything either. All that preparation—it's happening Tuesday and Wednesday at Auburn. So you right. better you better right. have your head on right those days. You're exactly right. right. Well, back when I covered when I covered Florida, I remember driving through campus the day after Thanksgiving. I just happened to see one person walking a couple miles from the stadium. It was Urban Meyer, and I remember running. I got back to my house and I put on the message board, "Hey, bumped into Urban Meyer today. He's out walking." And and the reactions were unbelievable. People were livid that he wasn't drawing up football plays in the office. And I'm like, guys, the game <laughs> against FSU is tomorrow night. Okay, they don't have any more practices. <laughs> okay, you, you don't you're not drawing up plays on Friday afternoon before the biggest game of the season. But you know, a lot of people, if you didn't play football, if you haven't covered it, you may not know that. And that's you know, I, I, I we're kind of laughing at the fans. But if, again, if you you haven't lived in that world, that's obviously something they don't know. 
It reminds me a lot of this past season when uh, uh, fans were complaining over at Arkansas about Chad Morris going to watch his son play quarterback on Friday nights before Saturday games. Like, shouldn't he be preparing and doing all this other stuff? And it's like they've done all their pre- preparation during uh, the if week. He's got, if, you, he's still, if he's still prepared you, on Friday, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. Hey, maybe that's why Arkansas was the way it was. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine if a head coach walked into a meeting on Friday night with his team and said, all right, forget about everything we've done all week. We're, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna try some new stuff here, and, and uh, we won't have time to practice it or watch anything and go over it, but uh, this is what we're going to do. I yeah. think really a lot, a lot of people don't understand how many times in practice the plays that are running the games have been run in practice. It's a bunch of times. Well, even the, even the trick plays, we've we've heard that you know this past yeah. season about these halfback passes or whatever you want to call them. Right. And they're like, yeah, we we've run that play like 30, 40 times, you know, this yeah. year in practice. Uh, and sometimes they never even get used. So. Exactly. Um, and as Gus Malzahn repeatedly has, has told me, football is a simple game. You you install five or six plays, you perfect that, then you install five or six more, you perfect that, and then you keep doing it until you can't perfect plays and have good retention. You don't give them too much, you don't give them too little, you give them what they can handle, and it and it and it varies year to year what a team can handle. So. That's why I always find it funny when I hear people go, oh, we're running up the middle again, run that same play again. Well, guess what? Those are the plays they've run perfectly in practice. That's one scheme. That's how coaches had success in the past. And listen, it isn't like there's going to be some magical play that they could have inserted that week that would have produced better results beyond that would not have been outside the game plan and just totally derailed things. I, I think, listen, we overanalyze a lot of things in life, especially in this day and age when everybody has a voice. And really, things are pretty simple when you look at look at it in, in all facets of life. If you, people complicate things, no that, question. That's that's what it comes down to. We all do. Speaking of complicating things, Philip, the NCAA is complicating things. <laughs> they. They're yeah. they're trying to they're trying to institute well, I want to say new rules but they're tweaking rules. Um, one about college overtime, which I absolutely do not like this new uh, idea they've got that could potentially get passed. And one about targeting. Tell us a little bit about that before I uh, my head explodes. Well, the targeting rule is proposed. It was passed by the football rules committee, which means it's about a ninety nine percent chance it will it will be a rule. Uh, the second targeting call in the season means you have to sit out the rest of that game plus the next game. Uh, the, the other change is that about targeting is that every targeting rule will be replayed and it, it won't have anything to do. The, the replay officials really won't even take into account what the field officials on the field saw. They, they will, they will look at it purely from from the start and decide if it was in fact uh targeting and if it was and it's your second one in the season then you get miss a whole that game uh, more than one full game and uh personally i think it's i don't like it i don't uh i, I don't like the whole the you know and it's people are human and whether it's the replay official or the official on the field one guy is going to say it and say no nah, that's not targeting 
And another guy is going to look at it and say, that's absolutely targeting. And the second guy, player, uh, <laughs> he's the one that pays the price. And as far as the overtime rule, that, that's ridiculous. That's all I, they'd say about that. It's that after five overtimes, then everybody just, just take turns going for two as opposed to uh, to just play it on. Here's my question. You might not know it because I don't know it. If All right, so fifth overtime, they're going for two. Let's say a team's going for two. They throw a pick, and it's returned for a touchdown. Is that two points and wins it, I guess? I do not know, but I would assume so. But or, I do they blow, or do they blow the ball dead when it's intercepted? I want. I, I would. I, I well, because on a on a on a regular two point conversion, you could return it for two right. points. So, I, yeah, I would assume that would still apply. Yeah. I anyway. I just. I just don't. I don't like that rule. Most of all, just because it just takes. I, we're getting this idea in our head that you know what, if a game keeps going and these teams are so competitive, let's try and tweak things a little bit to where maybe the game will be shorter. I guess that's what they're really trying to go for, but. Who's to say the game's going to be shorter by going for two each time? I I, I don't. It's going to yeah, make a faster pace. It might it might go to freaking twenty five overtimes if you just yeah. do two point plays. If you're tired, it's pretty but hard maybe, to stop stop somebody from gaining three yards. Exactly. Yeah, maybe I'm in the maybe I'm in the minority here, but when it's a, when I'm watching a great game, I actually don't want it to end as fast as possible. Right. I, I kind of like to see more football when it's a great game, but you know, with the targeting thing, I don't know. Part of me thinks that it's just kind of the NCAA covering its tracks a little bit for liability purposes. Hey, we're doing everything possible to make the game safer. Oh, you know, oh there's no doubt lines. about that. All of me thinks that. There's no question. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, and look, the game, you need to do all you can to make the game safe. And helmet to helmet contact doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Uh, but, and if it's intentional and it's violent, then I got no problem with the guy sitting out of game. But most targeting calls aren't that. No. And, yeah. and, and a lot of targeting calls are literally almost unavoidable. Yeah, there's yeah. such bang bang. You can even uh, you even see guys trying to avoid it, and right. because the defensive player is trying to tuck his head in a little bit, it actually becomes targeting when the guy was trying to avoid targeting. We've seen exactly. that exactly, and that's just not not right to have to, to sit out a game for that. But it is what it is. I well, I'm telling you this, guys. Within the next ten years, and maybe this is too long a time. Might maybe the next next five years, there will not be kickoffs. Oh, there's no question about that. They're going to get rid of them. There's no doubt, and uh, 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 I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and I, I don't, you know, it's part of the game is the excitement of the opening kickoff, but but in reality, other than that, I, I don't really have a big problem with it. And the way it's gotten well, now I with them kickoffs. moving, what? Well, I do too. But with the way they've changed the rules with the where they spot the ball and everything, I mean, it's a touchback pretty much every time. Um, the only, if you have the a good only thing I would say about that is, can you, do, will, you, will you not be able to kick on sides uh, if you score well, a little bit left yeah. in the game? They they, they, they might do the uh, <laughs> they might follow the Alliance of American Football rule where. An onside kick is you get the ball back facing fourth and twelve at like your own twenty-eight yard line, which is weird. That's, um, that's, start doing stuff like that. You're really that to me. Just, <laughs> uh, hey, remember the remember the original XFL? Uh, oh, the coin first, toss. First, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was it? 
was it, the two guys ran out on the field. Remember that to get the ball, and the one guy got hurt. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, course, of course he got hurt. I mean, <laughs> the two guys running full speed ahead at a football. That was actually the first time in a Vince McMahon production where a guy actually made physical contact with somebody. I think, but, <laughs> but uh, no, but uh, you know that was uh, <laughs> that was you know we're talking about the Alliance Football League. And now you've got the XFL coming back, and boy, they talk about diluting the product. I mean, I'm all for these guys getting set, getting an extra chance to play, but geez, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I don't. I love kickoffs. I mean, I think about all the great kickoff returns that I've seen in my life. That oh, uh, no question. You know, you know no and, question. And I get it. I get it. But boy, that if you saw the Cal Stanford game, and, and if my memory's right, I, I I don't remember whether I saw it live or not. I don't think I saw it live. I think it was a regional broadcast, Philip. You may know this better than me, but yeah, that was a play that I'll never forget to this day. I can still rem- see the pitches. I can still envision it all happening. Yeah, and, uh, it's one of the most. It's know. one of the one of the most famous yeah. plays in college football history. There's no question about it. But, but uh, you know, that's uh, and you lose some of that. There's no question. But but uh, you know, there's a lot of data that says put, the kickoffs are dangerous. They really are, they really is. So I don't necessarily argue argue with that one so much. But uh. And you mentioned these these fly by night football leagues. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me the smart wealthy people. Uh, you know, well, football's so popular, people want it year round. No, nah, they don't want that. They, you know, if, if 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 you could have another college football season in the spring, they'd take that, or another Certainly. NFL season in the well, spring, they, they'd take they that. It, but that's not it, what it, this it, is. Well, they keep putting the teams in the same cities that have failed. Yes, that have failed. Yes, yes. Memphis. Memphis. How many teams has Memphis had? I mean, San Antonio. Now, San Antonio, I think, has been drawing pretty good attendances. And and maybe it's not their fault. I think the old, what were they, the the San Antonio, what was their name in the USFL? Were they the Express or were they the? They're the Express now. No, that's Memphis. They they tried it in a lot of these same cities before, and, and then uh, I don't know. It, it's just, uh, it's, you, you know, they've done all these studies, you know, they put all this manpower and all this brain power into these things and they just never work. I don't know. I don't, I don't y'all, know. Y'all probably yeah. don't remember the WFL. Which was oh, the, I do. Uh, the Birmingham Americans. Yeah. Won the world bowl to win the championship and in the locker room, as they as they took their their equipment off, they'd take their shoulder pads off, and the guy from the sporting goods store would take them and say, "All right, that's one pair." They were re- repossessing all the equipment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man! So, you, Philip, you were you a fan of the Hawaii Hawaiians? I think that's one of the more brilliant uh, nicknames. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Birmingham drew well, but it still didn't make it. Then it wasn't going to well, make know, it. You know, it's funny. You guys watch movies, and there, and sometimes there'll be a sports clip in the background, and it's always a USFL clip. And it's yeah. got to be because the rights are too. It's always John Reeves of the Tampa Bay Bandits throwing a pass <laughs> from 1985 in a movie from 2016. You know what I mean? Yeah. The jerseys look old, the helmets look old, but the USFL was a pretty good product, I thought. I mean, they but they went well, out and spent real money. They spent a lot of money on players. Oh yeah. my god! I mean, Jim Kelly, Herschel Walker, Steve Young. I mean, they had some legit players, and they couldn't make it. Now you could say that was a, a more of a product of bad management. Uh, you know, but, and, uh, and, and then here's but the other thing. It, yeah. Know. Well, here's the other thing. Like the Alliance of American Football, they started up, but they're pretty much like working in conjunction 
with the NFL and a lot of stuff. So they're never going to compete against the NFL. They're never going to try yeah. and get NFL no, talent to play to. for them. Yeah, right. So, right, but right. so, but why? But so why should people watch to watch a diluted product? Because they're already saying, "Hey, listen, the NFL is going to make us a diluted product, so we're going to work with them to help us dilute it." I, I, well, I, I don't get that. It's just well, minor league. It's just minor league football. That's, well, I think my, they, isn't, that's all isn't it is. Isn't there a regional aspect to it? Like the, the yes, you can guys? only have yeah, like but, you, you but, can only have guys from certain states on your uh, roster. The USFL, yeah. yeah, but didn't the USFL have it? Correct me if I'm wrong. That's dating me a little bit, but didn't they have a territorial draft too? Yeah. I mean, what was it? You know what I mean? It's like I, I, once guys leave your 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 school, uh, you follow, exactly. You know, you just aren't as you're following Auburn because you love Auburn first. You know what I mean? Then it's the football right. aspect. Well, if, you, know? you know, if it's Cam Newton or uh, well, that's different. Yeah. But if it's but if it's some guy that didn't make it, yeah, I mean that's a you know Chris Davis will always be an icon at Auburn. Yes, always. But that doesn't mean that thousands of Auburn people are going to go out to watch him play defensive back for the whatever yeah. the Birmingham team is called, the Birmingham Iron, Iron. And, and they and they can't because they they waved him Monday. <laughs> I mean, poor guy. Poor guy's been dealing with injuries for most of his pro professional I mean, career, and I mean, he's been waived. They've tried every. They've tried everything. The other thing we forget about the NFL's got a lot more teams now than it had thirty Certainly. years ago, and they're about so, to have more. Yeah. So, oh, really? So you say that you know? Okay, guys. There's just so many good football players out there, but there's also a lot more teams in the NFL. So it's not like there's really gr- great, great players just sitting out there bagging groceries. Yes, there's an occasional story like that, but generally speaking, it just doesn't exist. It, there's plenty of spots on these NFL teams. Plus, they have the practice squads too, which is what another dozen guys. So, you know, I I, I just don't see how I, I don't know. I mean, but again, only, going back to the other thing, yeah, same cities. I keep waiting for one to show up in Portland, Oregon. I mean, it's the, I mean, it's gonna I mean, it's it's gonna be bad, man. I don't know. I want it to succeed. I want these guys yeah. to do well, but. I just don't know how. But what's the long term viability? Well, the I, only I get it. The, the only thing that will for a fan that wants to watch football year round and wants to watch good football, the only way for that to happen is for the NFL to play in the spring and college football to play during the fall, or vice versa. That's the only way. Uh, there you go. Otherwise, there you you got it there. That's yeah. The plan. Why not? You sell so, that. Did, did you yeah. did you guys like it when the CF when the CFL remember when they put teams in the states? Right? Oh goodness I have, gracious! I have no they, they have literally tried everything. Okay, yeah. I mean it's just I don't know. Uh, you know who knows? But yeah, again, getting back to the USFL, the, the the Bandits outdrew the Tampa Bay Bucks for a few years, so that was the best product they ever had, and it didn't come close to making it, as far as I can tell. Well, it was the Bucks. Well, they were pretty bad. That's true, but still, I mean, that was a that was a fairly good product. There were a lot of good yeah. players. Well, I mean, Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Famers, okay, NFL Hall of Famers, and they couldn't make it. And what happened? They were sold to the NFL for a dollar. Yeah. Well, you they know. won. The, they won the lawsuit, right? Yeah. <laughs> that must have been. That must have been quite a deal. We find we find for the plaintiffs, and you get because it was tri- triple damages. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we we find for the plaintiffs and we award them one dollar, yeah. which meant they got three dollars. Oh, you know, and, I, and and going back to that league, guys, I think Herschel Walker just destroyed his chances of being in yeah. an NFL Hall of a Pro Football Hall of Famer by going yeah. to that league. 
You know, that's that's one of the great players ever in the history of the sport. He's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's a great one for sure. Or is he? Did, he, did they finally put him in? I can't even remember. I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Well, that, there you go. There, if we, I, mean, I remember. I remember. I remember standing next to him on the sideline a few years ago and going, "Oh my God, this guy could still play football." Oh God! I, when I was a kid, I went to an SEC indoor track meet. I know I'm going on and on today, guys, but and my dad said, "You know, I'm taking you because Willie Galt's competing for Tennessee and Herschel Walker. Uh, maybe they were two different events. I I don't know, but I saw them both. You know, we're talking thirty something years ago. And just looking at Herschel Walker in a track outfit." Was I mean you don't yeah. forget that I mean that guy looked like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure Bo. I'm sure Bo looked the same way, but I never. Yeah. I never well, eyeball him up he close. Did. You know, he did. Yeah, he did. You just look at. I saw a picture actually today of of Bo uh, with the Kansas City Royals. He's out there in spring training with them right now, <clears throat> helping out. And just looking at his arms, you're just like oh, yeah. that that guy, man. I mean, I was just a kid little kid when he was in the NFL and playing baseball. But, oh my goodness. He was something to watch. Well, I think I, think I can't imagine players. seeing him in college. Oh, it was, two, it was definitely something to watch. I think there's two players that people are always going to wonder maybe more than the others. What could they have done if they wouldn't have been hurt? He would be one and Gail Sayers would probably Gail Sayers. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Well, we've got it all figured out. We do. <laughs> so, kickoff for the Auburn football season begins in uh, actually this Saturday. They're kicking off. Saturday. That's, That's great. <laughs> Football's back, guys. Um, uh, so, pro day Friday. We'll have plenty of coverage um, at auburnundercover.com. Spring practice 10 days later, March 18th. And uh, baseball and softball in uh, full speed ahead right now. By the way, Philip, uh, man, I'm impressed with the pitching. Who was all right? I don't follow it too quote closely. That's my bad. But who was pitching Wednesday night and just that breaking ball is nuts, filthy. Uh, it was um uh, this past Wednesday night. Yeah, this Wednesday. Yeah, G- Garrett Wade. He is a freshman. Oh my goodness. He, he, he is a he is a freshman from from Hartzell, and uh, uh, Butch Thompson told me. That his his slider is literally the best he's ever seen. Really, uh, I was I was watching that game and I, the the pitches. Oh my goodness! That looked like that looked like his problem has been he came he came to uh, back in the fall he couldn't throw his fastball for a strike, <laughs> and uh, but he's gotten better and better. He's going to be uh, another Auburn coach told me before the season he said that the they he said Garrett Wade could be the difference whether we. This team is good or great. He said if he's if he yeah. can if he can get to where he, he needs to be to help us, well, it'll, it'll be, be a huge difference. And uh, and he uh, he certainly has talent. Tanner Burns, the Friday yeah. night starter, is, is he's one of the best I've ever seen too. So yeah, um, it's uh, they got they got some pitchers, and of course Davis Daniel, who was drafted in the eleventh round last year, is yep. is out right now. So yep. but. He'll be back, Garrett. That 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 breaking ball's filthy, and I. It's just it's so disappointing, Keith, that his name's not Wade Garrett instead of Garrett Wade. <laughs> well, I, I, got, I read I read somewhere that I got the names mixed up, and I tweeted it out. And two seconds later, somebody says, "Hey, dummy!" You know, obviously Wade Garrett's the famous cooler from the movie Roadhouse. I gotta I wonder cooler. though. Yeah. 
Well, you know, people, I, you know, the thing about Roadhouse is people always say Patrick Swayze and, and uh, uh, the other guy, Sam. Uh, Sam Elliott. Guys. Yeah, they were bouncers. No, they weren't bouncers. They were coolers. You coolers. You got to know the difference, okay? You got to know the difference. And that's, they weren't that's looking. Your neck of the... Yeah, dude, that, that apparently that movie was loosely based off of a roadhouse that was in Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, when I was yeah. growing up, and my get this, my dad, who I'm now estranged from, too too much info, was a bouncer there. Well, so a lot wow. of people don't know this, but yeah. a lot of the the fight, a lot of the fight scenes apparently were taken after some of the brawls that Philip got in when he was, when he was a teenager. <laughs> That's you know? me, yeah. I, I was always, I well, was always you, good at brawls. By the way, did you guys hear Bruce Pearl on the radio the other night say said that he's been in three fights and he's one and two? I didn't hear that. <laughs> Oh, it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I, lo- I love to ask uh, uh, Garrett if his parents are ro- Roadhouse fans, and that's why they named him. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. That'd be something to look into, Philip. It'd be great. All right. I'll ask uh, him. <laughs> that's a silly thing, but I love silly stuff like that. That, that anyway. could be our first Pulitzer at Auburn. <laughs> you know, <who> knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much right. for joining us. Yeah, take care. Appreciate it. And... Uh, Much more at AuburnUndercover.com. We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Auburn Undercover.